1: For over a decade, Edwin Rutsch has hitchhiked, bicycled, traveled, and worked his way around our precious planet. He interacted with a wide variety of cultures and peoples from all walks of life, and learned to see and feel a common humanity shared by people around the world. During his explorations, he came to see the importance of empathy in human connections. He says empathy forms the foundation of community, compassion, love, and all the values that hold society together and makes life worth living. Today we'll be talking about fostering the value and the experience of empathy and how to talk beyond our social and political divides with our guest, Edwin Rutsch. Edwin Rutsch is a computer expert, a filmmaker, and the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. This center serves as one of the leading organizations of the global empathy movement and focuses on bridging social and political divides by designing a free online empathy training course and holding face-to-face and virtual empathy cafes. Join us for the next hours. We explore talking beyond that which divides us with our guest, Edwin Rutsch. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Edwin, welcome.
2: Uh, Thank you for having me.
1: It's my pleasure. I, I would love for you to share with us, please, how you first were inspired to make this a life path for you, the exploration of spreading the idea of empathy and how we can incorporate it in our social interactions.
2: Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, I did a lot of traveling over the course of my life, Uh, spent the decade when I was younger, just traveling around the world, exploring, trying to learn through uh, just travel and meeting people. And then I got into the technology uh, field, but I I still had a Uh, a desire to, you know, connect with people and to learn and to grow and kind of be that seeker. So I started creating some documentaries on human values and came across the value of empathy and thought, this is what I've been seeking is really this way of uh, connecting with people. And uh, when I kind of started learning about empathy, I thought this is really important and just sort of have thrown uh, myself into it and wanting to spend the rest of my life. Uh, really working on this topic and seeing how we can spread this this uh, way of being and skill, you know, as widely as possible.
1: The idea of empathy has been around for a long time. Can you share with us some of the history of the idea of empathy? I mean, it goes back to the early 1900s, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, there's a book out called em- "The History of Empathy" that just uh, came out, and the author traces uh, the the How the the word started in in Germany is the word Einfühlung, which means to feel into. It It was uh, uh, art aesthetics uh, trying to explain what it's like to feel into a work of art. And what's the experience when you look into a work of art? You look into it, you feel your way into it, and more feelings arrive, and they called that Einfühlung, feeling into. And uh, the word just started spreading, and then... It was translated into English as uh, empathy, which is feel, in, and has spread into a lot of different uh, disciplines and become ever more popular.
1: I think if people want to look up that book, it's Susan Mm -hmm, Lanzoni, I think, is who wrote that the history of empathy, and she teaches at Harvard. So if you're interested, if a listener is interested, also, I think another researcher is a professor of psychology, Helen Rice, mm-hmm. R-I-E-S-S. And she wrote a book called The Empathy Effects, Seven Neuroscience-Based Keys for Transforming the Way We Live, Love, Work, and Connect Across Difference. And she comes up with those seven keys. That's really important. What is empathy and how how can we express it? How can we de- even develop it?
2: Well, the, the word is, has different, people use to have different meanings uh, for the word. And it's always good just to start with, like, how do you define it yourself? And the definition I use is based on the work of uh, Carl Rogers, who is a, a clinical therapist or psychologist in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s.
1: And he was one of the founders of humanistic psychology, yes.
2: Yeah, and for him, it's like empathy is following along with someone else. And one of the definitions he uses, so what is someone else's experience and you follow and feel along with them? And that's sort of the most basic uh, definition. You know, it can get much more complicated, but just to really see and feel along, just like with that artwork, that you feel into that piece of art, where you can feel into someone else's experience.
1: What is the difference between empathy and sympathy? Uh, they're, yeah. they're different, aren't they?
2: Well, sympathy is, is uh, if I'm here listening to you, I'm hearing you, I'm seeing you, I'm, I'm looking across the table from you, I'm seeing your smile, I see the, the intensity of, of you, I see a little bit of humor, a smile <laughs> <laughs> with you. And so I'm feeling into your experience. I'm observing your experience. And and uh, if you were, for example, feeling uh, in pain or in sorrow, uh, just that one emotion, right now you have a whole spectrum of feelings that you have, right, that I'm yeah. being present with. And if you were feeling pain or suffering, then uh, sympathy would be my feeling sadness at uh, at your feeling. So it kind of moves the focus uh, from me being present with you and what's happening with you to my sense of uh, of sadness about your your suffering. So it's a bit of a shift in in perspective and, and awareness.
1: You just mentioned a, a couple of things that are kind of the keys about feeling empathy. Is like Eye contact to to know. So if we if we want to really develop some empathy, there are some physical things we can do to be present with another. Is am I interpreting that correctly? That there's a there's a way that we can listen into people that is actually a physical thing.
2: Yeah we so I'm I'm as we're sitting here I'm seeing you smile I'm seeing you move your hands sort of expressing yourself and I'm feeling the energy within uh, the the way that you move yourself and how do we deepen that sense of awareness like how do I feel into your experience uh, more deeply and there's a lot of uh, techniques a lot of different ways of doing it one if I'm very anxious and very nervous I'm going to be shutting off my awareness of, of, of what's going on with you. Uh, there's other ways of the process that we use that uh, is called empathic listening or active listening, which is I could reflect back what I'm hearing you say. And that's a real good uh, process for staying present with, uh, with what your experience is. And uh, so there's just a lot of different uh, ways of the, the, so the more relaxed, more open we are, the more we can I can follow along with uh, your experience.
1: So, for the two of us, we're both kind of leaning into the conversation. Both of our bodies, I notice, are kind of moving forward towards each other. Now, there's another way that we can pick up a clue if someone's truly not listening to us, let's say if we're we're expounding on some philosophy or whatever it is. And then they are leaning back and they're folding their arms and they're kind of uh, maybe a different facial expression other than a smile. What would That would tell us that probably we're not being heard.
2: Yeah, there might be some kind of a block, right? There's a, Or the person is looking away, or they're looking at their watch, looking at their cell phone. There's so many different ways of just showing that you're not being present. And even people can, you can sort of sense when they're up in their head, in their head and their thought process, and they're not really present, kind of being uh, really present with you. So,
1: so yeah. all right, let's suppose we're with someone like that, and we. Genuinely want to make contact. Maybe they're a neighbor and, and we know we're going to have to live next to this person for many years. And maybe they live, maybe we know that they've put a sign in their yard and they're on the opposite political extreme that we are. But we know that we're going to be neighbors. So, and they see the sign in our yard, and it's different from theirs. So we've already set up this dynamic of, uh, they're not one of us, so mm-hmm. to speak. But we know we're gonna have to live together. All right, so what would you suggest as far as talking to that person to open it up as a a, a truly empathetic listening opportunity?
2: Well, we could see empathy like a muscle uh, that is something you we can practice and get better at, and the sort of the gateway practice, the most basic exercises that I find to be the the best exercise is empathic listening, just learning how to do uh, empathic listening, which is to hear what someone says and to be able to reflect back what you hear they're saying, and also to be aware of the the feelings that they may be having so uh, what I, For example, I was just hearing that you're wanting to understand like how you would connect with a neighbor who you might see as someone different and that might have different political leanings. And you're just really interested in knowing how would you connect with that person. And so that was just example, just reflecting a bit yes. of what I'm understanding that you have said. And uh, so that is a practice, learning uh, active listening, empathic listening is a really good I find one of the best initial practices for kind of strengthening those empathy uh, muscles. And there's a lot of other ways, to, you know, a lot more sensitivity to felt experience, but in uh, deepening that sensitivity and getting grounded in yourself. But just as an easy practice, that active listening uh, is, is a good first step and to do it on a regular basis.
1: So I see two pieces to that. One is to have genuine curiosity, mm. to come to the conversation as if you don't know the outcome of the conversation or as if you don't know what they're going to say and just displaying a kind of genuine curiosity. We'll talk more about that in just one moment, but I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Edwin Rutsch, and he spells his last name R-U-T-S-C-H, Edwin Rutsch, and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. And if you want to know more about his work and about the cafes he he runs and the, the, the tents, uh, the empathy tents and cafes, virtual and face-to-face, you can go to his website, which is cultureofempathy.com, cultureofempathy.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Edwin Rutsch, and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy, and that's what we're talking about. And we're talking about, we we brought an example of wanting to get to know our neighbor better, and that neighbor is maybe on a different spectrum. And I can remember, I have a neighbor who's actually on the very different political spectrum from me but through our time together, we don't talk specifically about politics, uh, but through our time together, we have learned to respect and trust one another deeply. I trust her intelligence. I, I trust her her wisdom and she trusts mine. And I know the other day I did talk about politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mentioned something to her and she she laughed, but because there was some trust there, she laughed. I mentioned something that happened, and how it was reported and And I was watching like this certain media channel or this certain media silo, let's say, I'm gonna call it a silo that I feel comfortable with. And I mentioned this incident, and she laughed. she said, "Oh right, yeah, yeah, it's it's just too bad that that so many." people on that side of the spectrum just don't understand irony, do they? And it blew my socks off, Edwin, because I had not even considered the the idea that irony was present in whatever this incident was. And it just made me stop to think. So that expanded something Mm. in me because there was a kind of trust there. Mm. And she was giving me another viewpoint that I had not considered. And that's often what you do in these cafes, right?
2: Uh exactly. With our empathy cafes, we you're talking about that quality of trust. Like how do we if we have a sense of trust, it's easier to hear and, and connect with with other people and and also that sense of curiosity, you're saying, to have a curiosity about people is a is a way of connecting with them. And also to see each other's common humanity. There's a Just, I think this maybe is maybe you're asking about how to have that that connection to see that we can connect with everyone's humanity, that everyone's humanity is uh, important, and so if we have that as maybe our starting point, that that can help move towards fostering that connection. And in terms of trust, uh, we do have this empathy tent, which you mentioned. We go to political uh, rallies and we've been to what has been referred to as a battle of berkeley where the right wing come and they uh, were rallying in the park in berkeley and then the counter demonstrators and antifa and and other protesters come to counter that then we we go and we set up this empathy tent to listen to both sides and try to foster dialogue between the two sides and i've i'm more on the left you know progressive direction politically or was and uh, when, I, when we did this, the first time the, the right-wing uh, uh, protesters came, or speakers, or the, their group came and set up in the park in Berkeley. And I, was, I didn't know who these people were. I wanted to reach out to them. I didn't, you know, didn't, I felt kind of nervous about going up there to you know, talk to them. But I had my empathy T-shirt on. I had my little box that says uh, free empathy kisses and has a little Hershey's Kisses in it, and went over to him kind of timidly, <laughs> <laughs> and said, "Oh, would you like an empathy kiss?" And and you know they they took you know one. And we started talking, and and the more and more I talked to the people, just being open, being you know willing to listen, uh, we started dialoguing, and I started saying, "Oh, they're just they're you know they're very open. They're willing to talk, and uh, I felt more and more trust develop, and and uh, so." I think that's it, that trust building. And that trust building comes from what you're doing with your neighbor, just going out there, uh, talking with them, hearing what they have to say and engaging uh, in in that dialogue. And that dialogue itself kind of builds a deeper and deeper trust.
1: Now, I know that you have a specific way because I've participated um, online to one of your cafes, which I just found just phenomenal. I loved it. I I thought I was just going to plug in and just kind of listen to what it is that you're doing, but (laughs) you have to participate. And you you broke us up into small groups of five people, and we use Zoom, which so you could see a picture of each person. You see their their head, you know, from their computer. There's a camera, and you see everybody's face. And you broke us up into these groups and some, some were conservative and some were progressive and, and you threw out a question. It's very structured, but very simple. So I'd love for you to talk about that particular structure because it's simple, effective and it, it's very fascinating.
2: Yeah. So, as I was mentioning, one of the best ways I found for the starting practice for learning empathic listening or being empathic is to learn active listening, or sometimes called empathic listening. The question is, how to learn that? What can we do to learn it? And so, the process we developed or built on is uh, to do small groups, maybe four people, five people, you know, keep it small. And then we do, do uh, we have a topic or it can be whatever's alive for you, whatever you have energy around. And then we discuss this topic and the first person to speak, they select who they're going to speak to and they speak of whatever comes up. And then the listener, who uh, the person is listening to them reflects back their understanding. Somebody
1: that they've chosen to that, be their active listener. Mm-hmm,
2: their active listener. Uh, and then that active listener reflects back their understanding. And then you speak a little bit more and the person reflects back and we'll time it maybe five minutes and it can be varying times or no time at all until the speaker feels heard, that they've been heard and understood because that's the real focus is for you as the speaker to be heard and understood to your satisfaction. And then once you've been heard or the time is up then it becomes the listener's turn to speak and they'll select someone and they speak on the topic or whatever is. And up it may be that
1: same person or another person. Yeah, yeah,
2: and it so cool. We try to have everyone be able to be both. Be both the yeah. speaker and the listener, and it goes around like that for the for the time allotted. And it's it's sort of like a a gym, an empathy gym, in a sense, because you're practicing and practicing, and we're rewiring the brain so that it becomes more of an automatic a skill to be able to or a way of being to be able to hear someone be able to be present with them and reflect back your understanding of what they're saying and feeling and perhaps needing
1: now an important point here is when when one person reflects back to another what they they've said their their understanding of what they've said that doesn't necessarily mean that the listener agrees with them—that's not the point of it. Can you go more fully into yeah, that? Yeah,
2: it's, it's—it's. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's a concern, right? If you—if you're someone you disagree with, and you have to re- reflect back what it is that they're saying, and you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to reflect back because I'm going to be agreeing with them. I don't want to do it, and people kind of shut down because they're afraid of, oh, I'm going to be. But with the empathic listening, you're not agreeing. What you're really trying to do is just hear the person to their satisfaction. Not that you agree with it, not that you disagree with it. Uh, It's just to be able to hear them to their satisfaction. And then when it's your turn, I mean, they even might say something kind of nasty to you, right? It's like, you're an idiot. And then you just reflect back. Well, I'm hearing you say is I'm an idiot. Is there more? (laughs) It's like, you're a super idiot. (laughs) Well, you're really saying I'm a super idiot. Is there more? And they'll say, no, I just had to, uh, express my my anger. So you're just expressing your anger. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I feel heard. So. Um, so it's just really hearing the person, not that you agree with their judgments or their put downs or whatever it is that they're saying. It's just that you heard them to your satisfaction then you can, then it's your turn to respond to them and say whatever you want. There's no political correctness here. Just let it out (laughs) whatever you want to say you can say to them and they reflect back what uh, they hear you say and and sometimes you know these uh talk they they can start if there's a lot of conflict it can start kind of rough and i think you're in the circle with someone who's had some different viewpoints and you know there was some tension and but people start feeling heard and they start feeling understood and the tension starts going going down and uh, with this basic skill you can use it in you know in your family, you can use it with your coworkers, with your friends, your community, and it's a this sort of a, so this is like sort of a boot camp, sort of a empathy boot camp practice.
1: So so somebody comes at you at work or in your family, your Thanksgiving dinner. You can just start doing this. You can say, oh, I hear what you're saying. You are saying blah, blah. And you try and repeat as accurately as you can what they said. And then they might say, no, that's not what I meant. And say, well, please say more. And then they'll say what they meant. And then you say, all right, now I hear you saying this. And you repeat it. And finally, they'll come to a place to say, yeah, that's what I said.
2: Yeah. And it's no. also, uh, there's also, it, it's, you can become sort of a mediator as well with this process. So you're talking about with someone who's sort of attacking you or you're yeah. having a conflict yeah. with. But it, for example, in my family, you mentioned Thanksgiving. So I have d- during uh, about six, seven years ago, in my family, it was Christmas, and there was sort of a family conflict started. My sister-in-law and my mother were were going at each other, and it was about where some gifts were being kept, who was responsible for it, and uh, so my sister-in-law was saying my mother was responsible for it. My mother was saying, don't you talk to me this way, and it was like just the feeling that Christmas was just going to blow up. The family members didn't know how to deal with it. They were like, the Other family members are like heading for the corners <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to hide in the different, you know, behind the different sofas and so forth. Yeah. And uh, so, what I did is I just spoke to my sister in law and said, Oh, I'm hearing you're really upset with uh, that, the, that the kids got into the gifts before the time and you're just feeling really upset and you feel it's, you know, my mother's resp- fault, the responsibility. And she said, Yeah, that's it. And then spoke to my mother and re- reflected what i was hearing her say and i said you're 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 really upset because you don't want uh, you know to be talked to this way is that is that right and and it just the con- the dialogue just continued like that i went back and forth went to, spoke you know to my sister-law in reflected what she was saying she said some more then reflected my mother and it kind of went back for maybe 20 minutes or 15 minutes until just being, for them to feel heard and understood by somebody, uh, they were, they started calming down. And then I said, said, would you be willing to speak to the other person? And as a listener, would you reflect back what you're hearing them say? Until they feel heard, then it would be your turn to, and you'll be uh, reflected back and, and heard. And they sort of grudgingly, you know, agreed to it. And then I started keeping, and they started doing it. And, you know, they struggled a little bit, but I would kind of keep them on track. And they went back and forth, reflecting and, you know, sharing and reflecting. And then they started even calming down, because they started hearing each other. And and then the family members who had all been, you know, hiding from this conflict, <laughs> they, they came into the circle and kind of organically formed this uh, empathy circle, just, Uh, just by itself and I just kept all the members you know using this basic you know basics process and uh, it led to actually solving the problems and hugs all around
1: wonderful a wonderful story thank you for that example I'm here with Edwin Rutsch and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy I'm Justine Willis-Toms you're listening to New Dimensions I'm here with Edwin Rutch and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy and his website if you want to check him out and I suggest that you do it's called cultureofempathy.com and Edwin you would probably acknowledge that here in in the US and maybe in other countries too there's a huge divide going on people are going to their you know, I think of it like a prize fight, and and after a round, they say, "All right, now go back to your corners." And that's kind of what people are doing. They're going back to their their group and their silos, and they're not talking across. And in fact, I think that you even even mentioned at some point you said um, something about Speaker of the House Pelosi and President Trump are are like dis, a dysfunctional couple <laughs> in some ways because they're not talking across that divide, either one of them, and I'm not sure if that can be repaired. But we can work towards that in in certain ways. We can work that with whatever is close to us. And tell me, how are you working with that?
2: Well, I think what I said was that the, the, the political left and right is, is like a dysfunctional couple, kind of ah. at a larger social And to see that at some point you can't really judge either side and say, you're wrong, you're right. It's just that we need a way to really listen to each side. It's the exact same dynamic that I was mentioning in my family, you know, it's like, and that can be any family members, you know, so, and we are in a family here, a global family and a family in the the country. And so how do we really see everyone's humanity and bring people together and that's I just see that as uh, that this empathy movement is the way to do that. And the way, one of the activities we've been doing is these empathy cafes. You've mentioned that we bring the political left and the political right together to use uh, empathic listening to dialogue with each other. Uh, we also have the empathy tent, which I which you know, I mentioned that we go to political rallies and set up the tent and listen to both sides and in the tent, bring the left and right together to uh, dialogue. So, you know, we've been trying to reach out. We were just at the Republican convention last weekend in Sacramento, that was the state, California state Republican convention. So we talked to Republicans, conservatives said, oh, come to the, take part in the empathy circle. And we had a lot of really positive uh, comments and people saying dialogue is important. And uh, I remember one, a uh, man came by and said, you know, the skill I taught ta- ta- my son is empathy. That's like the most important thing. So it was it was a lot of support. We had our empathy t-shirts on. We were wandering the halls and, and uh, you know, just reaching out to people, talking to them, giving them out, giving information about how to take part in these empathy circles. And then in June is the democratic convention, the state convention in 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 san francisco for the democrats and we'll go there and we'll reach out and so we're really trying to reach out and be actively reaching out to both sides to support them to bring them together and then use these uh basic tools just to get the process started and there's there's a lot of different tools out there for you know, for uh, facilitating dialogue. and But this seems to be an easy, like you were mentioning, an easy first step that anyone can use. So we're really trying to popularize and get that this uh, empathy circle practice uh, out there.
1: I know, Edwin, that you've gone to different demonstrations and you've been, you know, kind of right in the thick of it. And you told a really surprising story I heard you tell at some point about... How you went and invited the uh, conservative element in, you know, to to participate in this dialogue, and and they said yes right away. But there was a surprising reaction for the progressives. You were surprised, like the the conservatives said, "Oh yes, we'll come to to a dialogue, absolutely." And then you approached the progressives. And they weren't so open to oh, come mm-hmm. to to dialogue.
2: Yeah, well, that was uh, this was at UC Berkeley. There was uh, rallies. Uh, there, there was some conservative speaker were speaking. There were counter demonstrations, and and then the, the the right came. And I invited one of the people on the right to come into the tent. And he said, "Okay, I'll talk." And we actually had uh, then there was some counter demonstrations. to demonstrators. And they were just, I invited them to talk, you know, progressive uh, by any means necessary, I think, is the organization. And they were just shouting, trying to shout it down. They didn't want to dialogue. And we kept saying, Would you like to be in this dialogue? And they just said, Not now. And they just were shouting. And uh, we did have someone on the left that did take part. And we, you know, talked for a while. But it was really hard to talk because it was just so much screaming and yelling. Uh, around the tent, and so it sort of ended quite quickly. Uh, so, uh, so there's there's some of that on the on the left, not being willing to uh, dialogue, sort of on the far left.
1: So it, it, the left might think of themselves as so open-minded, yeah. and yet. Uh, here that was a case where the the people on the right said yeah, oh yeah we'll come and talk and then the left was not willing i i just found that striking uh to just notice where in our own beingness where we are resistant and i yeah. can i can remember uh maybe i've told this story before but i can remember uh Years ago, when I was part of it, it was called Leadership Mendocino. And it was a whole group of people that maybe there were 24 of us. And we were learning all about all the aspects of the county that we were living in the health aspects, the agriculture, the political, the all, you know, everything. And we stayed together for a year. And one of the people on the um, committee was the a, was a head of the local Republican Party. And, uh, and I'm more progressive. And so I just avoided him just mm. for for months. I just avoided him. I never interacted with him or anything. And finally one time we were sitting down at lunch and he sat down next to me and he said, Justine, I really want to hear from you. I wanna have a dialogue with you. And I know that you don't want a dialogue with me, but I want a dialogue with you. It blew my socks off, Edwin. And I realized that was my deep prejudice. I thought that I was not a prejudiced person. And I had to confront my own internal prejudice where I was, you know, putting him in a box somewhere. And then we, it was wonderful. We did have wonderful conversations for the rest of the time that we worked together for that year. And I learned to respect him deeply, and I respected him for approaching me., yeah. mostly.
2: For, for reaching out. He reached out to you and wanted to open, invite you to a dialogue.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, so I, I learned a lot about myself. And that's what we can do in these conversations is that we if we come with a kind of curiosity and openness, oftentimes, something that is changed.
2: Yeah. It's really being, it it is that openness that to be open and not be righteous or self-righteous about, like I have the answer is that (laughs) you're rolling your eyes. (laughs) I know,
1: I know, because man, it's so easy to go there. I roll my eyes when I have the answer. I just like any one of us can, (laughs) can step into that role at any moment. If, and that's where it's really good to catch ourselves saying, I have the answer. One of the mantras that I use, I just gave this uh, as a, a, I think part of a talk that I gave is um, the mantra is, well, I wonder how this is going to turn out. You know, that it, it, something happens and you just think, oh, well, I, uh, you know, the first reaction is to react and to say, "Ah." Oh, I'm, this is terrible and whatever. And then to just sort of relax into it and say, hmm, maybe I really don't know all of it. Maybe I wonder how this will turn out. Yeah,
2: it's that judgment. Or maybe it's like, oh, and having those judgments that start, yes. that get in the way. Those are those things like the anxiety, the judgments, the self-righteousness. So there's a lot of different qualities that can block that that listening and that empathic listening listening and that empathic presence. So it's, and actually that in that the simple process of empathic listening helps to move through those, right? So if you're judgmental, I can express my judgment towards you and you just hear my judgments and the listening to my judgment sort of transforms it. Or even listening, having the person listen to your self-righteousness, like, hey, I am right here, you are wrong well, I'm hearing you really feel that you're right and I'm wrong. Is there more that you'd like to say? So the the listening and the, the reflection sort of, it sort of magically sort of transforms that energy into sort of a connecting energy. Um, so that's, yeah. And so if you could have like in that uh, conference or that group that you were in, if they would have started with empathy circles, right? If they would have had the different community members say, "We're just going to start with a little bit of this connecting. We're going to hear each other. Uh, we're going to practice this," and everyone would have sort of gotten grounded. They would have start feeling they're heard. They're feeling like yeah. they're understood. They right. would have developed that trust, and so that's what we're trying to do: is is really promote that this basic skill that if we could, you know, have like you're mentioning, you know, Nancy Pelosi and and Trump that. Trump, Nancy Pelosi, and Schumer had that meeting in the (laughs) Oval Office that time, and they were talking. If they had been talking, had had an empathy circle with the media there for like a couple hours, and I mean, it would have like changed the whole energy. You know, it would have like been a role model to the whole country. Like, oh, they're doing it, we can do it too. You know, so
1: what a what an idea. You know, I'm also thinking, Edwin, that when When we have the opportunity to say whatever it is that our judgments are to talk about that which we really fear, that we really fear that this is gonna happen because of whatever, and I just start spouting that off. And if there's another person there that is truly receiving that pronouncement that I'm making, there's something very magical. I get to hear myself in a different way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Can you say something about that?
2: Yeah. There's. It's just being heard. That being here, like I have that sense of I'm irritated. I'm and I just want to vent and I throw my judgments at the other person. But then I hear my own judgments and I say, Yeah, I don't really feel that. There's something. I see what's underneath. I'm. I'm feeling like I'm just not heard and understand. I'm feeling angry. So my anger, what's my anger about? So I, I kind of go deeper past those judgments and that's when the empathy circle, you can throw those judgments out. There's no restrictions on what you can say. So you can express those feelings. And then then you start becoming more self-aware of what's, uh, of your own inner feel, deeper, what is, what's under, what are the feelings that are under that judgment and, and that creates greater, uh, connection.
1: Exactly. I can see that. And I can see that I, then you start, I, I, at least I feel like I've started to hear myself and my own judgments. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Edwin Rutsch, and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. And his website is Empathy. Dot com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Edwin Rutsch, and he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. And we've been talking this whole hour about empathy. And I know that uh, that many people are working uh, right now, the big thing that's really up is like more equality, equality, marriage equality, equality, and racial equality. And, and we're talking about, all, you know, the equal rights amendment, uh, the, uh, all sorts of things that really make, like immigration policies, more equality there. But there's, there's something more that we can talk about than equality if we really focus on what do we want? That's that. What? What? What is the root that we're going for? When I mentioned in the very opening of this interview, you traveled around the world and you found the this idea of empathy as as a key to this kind of more happy, more equitable world, and that's the whole point. Is that? if we truly are going for something beyond the equality what we're going for is more creativity to work together in collaboration so we're we're working from a bigger tent i guess is what i'm trying to say so if we really invite in all these dialogues mm-hmm. we are actually inviting in a larger Larger possibilities and opportunities for greater creativity—is that kind of one of the underlying things that we're going for?
2: Yeah, well, I'm hearing that you're really looking like, what's the deeper <laughs> essence? Like you're you're looking at equality, is creativity? Like what is really down deep in at the core? And kind of a question: What are we going for? And for me, that is that empathy is. For me, that's why I call it building a culture of empathy. It does seem to me that empathy is that deep core that you're talking about, that we really, it it goes deeper than just equality. And even there's a big social justice movement. And I think empathy goes even deeper uh, than that. There's like a nonviolence movement and empathy goes even deeper. It's like, it's more, even more demanding than all of those uh, qualities and is at the core. So it's really about uh, connecting with everyone's humanity, and it's an ongoing process. You know, it's really about—it's like we don't just connect, but it's like we're doing it on in an ongoing uh, way. There's a, a quote that I really like from Johan Galtung, who started the peace and conflict studies programs in the universities. He's Norwegian, and he says, uh, "Peace is resolving conflict with empathy, creativity." And nonviolence, and it's never-ending process.
1: Now say that again, so we really peace
2: didn't. is resolving conflict with empathy, creativity, and nonviolence, and it's a never-ending process. So there's always new stuff coming up, new feelings, and we want to hear and be and connect with those, and and work through them with this empathy. That the empathy is like an integrative process. Where we're constantly hearing each other, we're constantly integrating with each other. And I think that's the the first step. And what you're talking about is the creativity, is when we do run into those uh, conflicts, that that is actually a source of creativity. Like, how are we going to solve this? And we can't solve it until we really hear all the voices, all the aspects of it. And and it's almost like you've probably had that experience where you're in conflict with someone you got different opinions about something and you connect and you hear each other and then like a whole new solution a whole new energy a whole new feeling arises that neither of you gave up you know you didn't compromise but like a whole new possibility uh opened up and you both and we both we all feel connected and i think That is really what what the empathy movement is about, is not compromising. I'm not for compromise. I'm for sort of a transformational connecting and kind of whole new new dimensions. (laughs) (laughs) New dimensions opening up. (laughs) I love it,
1: I love it. I know we recently did an interview with Margaret Wheatley and she really talked about um, being warriors of the possible and and that has to do with that kind of collaboration. And I'm you know I'm thinking also of the work of Barbara Fredrickson out of the, the University of North Carolina. I think, and she really has done a lot of work on happiness. And that when we are in that more positive feeling of of openness and trust, then we actually have a broader field of vision mm. it allows us to see a greater field of possibility i mean it's actually a physiological thing they've done experiments where people if they're not feeling like positive or whatever they're feeling negative or depressed they they have this kind of tunnel vision and and i think that the media really exacerbates that in some ways because you talk about the media as being an echo chamber, and and their motivation, let's say, like television, is their motivation is ratings. That that's their bottom line is ratings. Maybe secondarily is to give out information and good good facts and so forth. But underneath it, they're really trying to attract our attention so mm. they get our eyeballs.
2: So you're really trying to understand, like, the media and what it is that motive, what's the underlying motivations and, and why, you know, with, with the messages that they put out there. Uh, for me, what, what kind of really struck me is that what you're talking about, uh, including everyone, that it opens up the possibilities of creativity. And, you know, I mentioned, like, I mentioned the empathy circle uh, a lot here about the, it's just like a first step of for for going down the path of a building a culture of empathy. But there's also a whole tool set called empathic design, which is also referred to as human-centered design or design thinking. And this is centered uh, in the design schools and is like in the design school at Stanford and a lot of uh, real creative companies where it's like any problem that you have is you know you form a team to work on it and you start with any problem solving with empathy really hearing and understanding the problem and all the hearing from all the people and then you narrow it down to a problem area and then you open it up to creativity to really coming up with new innovative uh, ideas and then you uh, get a whole field of possible ideas and then you hone in on some that you want to try out and you do quick uh, prototyping to uh, try out your ideas, solutions, and then you go and test it, and then you start the whole process again of uh, of empathizing and kind of iterating on this problem solving. So this this the, this mindset, this toolset, is already out there, uh, and it's used a lot in um, the technology field and, and really the creative, innovative in business and all mm-hmm. fields. And the, uh, they're also using it in the schools now. It's being taught, uh, there's in the Bay Area alone, there's at least 40 in the schools. the San Francisco Bay Area? San Francisco Bay Area. There's at least 40 K through 12 schools that are using this is uh, sort of a project-based learning. And it all starts with empathy. It all starts with uh, people just empathizing with each other, getting that wide field of possibilities through listening. And then uh, having really creative ideas uh, emerge uh, from from that.
1: Edwin, I can remember in uh, being on a board of directors in a, in an organization, and we had a retreat one time, and we were grappling with a problem, and I just came up with. I said, "This is maybe thirty years ago," and I said, "Oh." I know what we should do. We should all just divide up in groups and each group go back, go and do their thing and then come back and we'll put all those solutions together. And one of the board members uh, said to me, uh, he said, or said into the group, he said, well, that's a good idea, but, you know, I want to hang out in the field of where where we are right now more before we go to solution."
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that was a big like, oh, right. And that's what I think partly what you're talking about is being willing to hang out with understanding the viewpoint of all the people who are involved first. Yeah.
2: So in the country, we don't want to exclude any political any political spectrum, any point on the spectrum. Because the inclusion creates a lot more creativity and a lot more innovation. But what we seem to be missing is like some tools, some processes for bringing people together. So it's really evaluating, not only being curious, but also valuing all those different points of view. And that each one of those brings something unique. And it's like, how do we work through them? And I think that's really what we're missing is uh a two nobody's gonna win the left, the right, nobody right. ultimately it's yeah. so divided. There's no way we're going some one side is gonna win. It's it's gonna come through this other, I think an empathic a, approach. I love, it.
1: I love it. Well Edwin, I I I'm hearing hearing you say that this is a, a way forward if we really take this empathic approach. And I have to say then we have to be patient with the process, that it's much easier to dictate, here's how it's going to be, and then everybody follow it that way. It's, it's gonna take time to learn, to listen deeply to one another, and to really practice that and develop, as you said earlier, that muscle. So I, I wanna thank you so much, Edwin, for being part of the New Dimensions program today.
2: Thank you, it's been a pleasure.
1: It's been my pleasure as well. I've been speaking with Edwin Rutsch, and he spells his last name R-U-T-S-C-H. And he is the founding director of the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. And if you want to know more about his cafes that, that have been developed under that umbrella and the tents, the empathy tents, all the many different activities, please check it out cultureofempathy.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3670.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions.